This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. During the next session, we're going to attempt to answer the question, is another emerging market buying opportunity around the corner? And I can't think of anyone better to help us answer this question than Ian Beattie, co-founder and CIO of NS Partners, who are the fund managers on our global emerging market fund. Now, I can make that bold statement with confidence because Ian and his team have been running global emerging market strategies for over 25 years now, and that's quite an incredible length of time to have been investing in this area, which seems relatively new in in comparison to some of the longer, longer established trusts around the world. Over that time, they've produced index outperformance and a very reliable and enviable track record over that period since inception. They've been running the fund for us since launch uh, in April two years ago. So we've just had our two-year anniversary. And again, they've continued to provide outperformance of the benchmark and peer group during that time. Now, we think they do that. And the reason why we ask them to run money for us is because they have a really unique approach to investing in emerging markets, combining the top-down overlay or evaluation of country dynamics with the traditional fundamental bottom-up research and in-depth understanding of of companies within each sector. And that's based on the premise that you can own the best company in Turkey, but it doesn't really matter if the country is going through an economic, a currency, or even and and or a market downturn. So on that note, I'd like to uh, welcome Ian Beattie from his racing chair. In, in the UK and some uh, strategically positioned books on the shelf behind you there. Um, thanks very much for joining us, Ian. I'll hand over to you for your presentation now. Thank you, Rob. Good morning. I'll spend a few, a few moments looking at the uh, recent performance on the Emerging Market Fund, and then we'll go into a few forward-looking pieces of analysis, really. Uh, I'm focused very much on the medium term currently, the next few quarters, because I think we're at some imp- important inflection points. Um, We talked a while ago uh, when we went bullish on emerging markets, and then we switched that tactically to be more of a buy on weakness. And of course, on a relative sense, that's exactly what's happened. They have pulled back and consolidated relative to the developed markets, the US in particular. Now, we're not calling for a change just yet, but I might do before the next uh, one of these, before the next quarter, although I'm not 100% sure. So I'm going to lay some of the framework out so that people can make their own decisions. But I do, we do think at the moment that conditions are beginning to change. We're not quite ready to bang the table yet, but we're going to start moving our positioning to be less cautious as we go through. And I think maybe the next quarter or possibly the quarter after, we could have some major changes in, in indicators that would suggest that. But anyway, I'm going to leave those out later on so people can, can watch them. So how did the, uh, the, the fund perform? Just a quick recap over the last quarter and then uh, and a little bit longer term. So the, the fund rose 0.69% over the last, well, in the first quarter of 2021, which has lagged the index, which was up to 2.29%. Now, over one year, the fund is still up 63.7% against an index that's up only 58.39. So still comfortably ahead over one year. And that brings the since inception up to 18, just over 18%. And the index is up just over 13%. 
So it's been obviously all markets have gone through quite a roller coaster, and over that 12 month period, we're uh, very fortunately going from the very bottom. A quick update on the firm: any questions on any of this, you can you can come back to us um, either at the end of this or go back to your representative later on. So as a firm now, we're running 3.9 billion US dollars, and this emerging market strategy is just over 1.1 billion dollars of it, and a nice healthy pipeline of clients that haven't funded yet as well to come in in the next quarter or so. So we're very excited about that. Uh, no change to the investment team um, over the last year or so, uh, but we are starting to look at a few resumes and CVs. So maybe watch that space going forward, but that will probably be um, more at the less experienced, but highly capable analyst level um, rather than the fund manager level. As for COVID-19, well, we're starting to look at a, a hybrid work from home, work remotely uh, and work in the office setup. I'm sure we're not alone in that. Okay, so on to the details. Now, if those of you that are invested and want a quick summary on a one pager, then this is probably the one you want to be looking at. This is the edited highlights. For those of you that I know that have short attention spans, this is the one page for you. So as we said, the fund lagging a bit over this quarter, but still well ahead over one year and since inception. Now, what worked? Well, very briefly, what worked was the underweight in China, that controversial underweight in China, is working for us. The overweight in Thailand, also, I think, also quite controversial at the time. And we had good stock selection in Korea, Taiwan again, and Thailand. We'll go into these in a bit more detail. Korea and Taiwan are obviously the technology names, but Thailand isn't. Thailand's good old-fashioned banks and, of course, some opening up leisure plays, Thailand being well-known for its tourism industry. Security selection was very good in Mexico as well, a, a market that we haven't actually favoured, but um, there's a good copper play in there, and we all know what copper's done over this period. What didn't work? Well, obviously, it's not such a good quarter for us, so there's a few of these. Stock selection in China was a drag. So although we were underweight and that was a positive, we could have done better at the stocks on the stock side. Uh, the same with Russia and Brazil and India also didn't keep up with a very strong market, actually, despite the fact that there were some COVID worries towards the end of that period. Our underweights in the uh, Gulf markets and South Africa also show up as a negative. In the longer term, uh, we don't have any change in view on those markets. And uh, Brazil had political issues to worry about, so that didn't work for us either. Now, three good things to talk about. Minor International. This is a hotel company that obviously we were looking at very hard a year ago in the depths of the COVID crisis. Not really a time to be in the hotel or restaurant business. But Minor International is a stock that we know very well. And we've known it for a very long time, and we know their management very well. And they have the right instincts. They have been through many crises before. They're a Thai headquartered company and they've been through coups. They've been through SARS and MERS and other pandemics. So we, although their global um, diversification didn't help and might have even hindered with uh, COVID-19, we know management have what it takes. We know their reflexes are good. Despite that, we were on the phone to them and Zoom calls and everything else very frequently in the depths of the crisis. But we were reassured that they're, as I said, their instincts are good. They're going to come out of this stronger. They will. They have cut costs very aggressively. And they're still positioning themselves for a recovery. I think they'll come out of it stronger than their 
competitors. And of course, anybody who's trying to book anything at the moment as COVID um, improves in many parts of the world will know that it's very hard to get raw materials. It's very hard to get hotel rooms. This is going to be um, pricing power is going to be back for firms like this. Uh, Casacom back is a, was a new holding for us that we bought towards the end of last year, and it has already worked spectacularly for us. It's much easier being a banker at the moment when the long end of the yield curve is higher than the short end. It means you can borrow short and lend long, which is basically what their business is. In the last few years, they've already been hit by fintech and they've had to cut costs and you know they've lost some of that easy money. So that was already in the price. So this stock, which was incredibly cheap at the end of last year, um, has really soared over the last couple of quarters. And that rotation trade has really benefited it. Casacom Bank also had their results just a couple of days ago, and they beat expectations much more so than the other Thai banks. So again, I think you know the Casacom Bank and Saint Commercial Bank. You know, this is not the time to play um, the less good. It's the it's the time to stick to the, the proven winners. I think. Talking about proven winners, we have MediaTek doing well again this quarter. This is a chip company that doesn't actually make the chips; it just designs them. And with the way the technology has gone, this has been obviously fantastic. TSMC make the chip. These people design it means they don't have much capital tied up building fabs and trying to compete where they shouldn't. They benefited much as China pivoted its supply chains away from the US towards Asia. They picked up a lot of business supplying the Chinese firms with chips when the American companies no longer could. The three that didn't work this quarter, Dada Nexus. This is an e-commerce play. Many of you probably know Meituan. Um, this is not that dissimilar in business. It's e-commerce delivery. It's got JVs with JD.com, a giant Chinese e-commerce play, and also Walmart. So we think this is a really high quality play. It's a bit more of a niche player, but it delivers on those areas very well. Otherwise, you know, they wouldn't be backed by those sort of high quality names. But definitely wasn't the quarter to be owning those sort of businesses, as we all know globally. But we much prefer this name to Meituan. Geely Motors, it had done very well. We were boasting about how well this one had done a quarter or so ago had a slight miss on earnings. It just shows at the moment as costs rise, you must have a way of passing those costs on. And Geely, unfortunately, although it's got some very exciting projects in the pipeline, which is why we own it, this wasn't a good time for its product cycle. Some of the products that were in the market, it's a car company, by the way, are sort of last year's or even the year before's product range. And it's very hard to put prices up if you've got an old product. If you had a new product coming out, for instance, we own Giant, um, it just reported recently, and they beat expectations because they had new products. They had e-bikes and so on. And with those, you've really got pricing power. So this, at the moment, with these bottlenecks that we were warning about last quarter and the quarter before, this is real sleeves rolled up. Know your stocks. Know who's got the pricing power, both with their suppliers and with your customers. And unfortunately, Geely got a bit caught. I think it's going to get this back as the new products come out, as this new product cycle takes off. But it's definitely a bit tough, this cycle. And leaning has been a spectacular winner for us, but we sold it. And then I don't know whether you saw that the, there's a huge upsurge in anti-American sentiment in China to do with cotton and Uyghurs. And nobody bought Adidas or Nike for a few days, and they all went and bought leaning. So their market share soared. That made us look particularly foolish because I'd only just sold it. Um, but it had been a big winner for us in the long run. Um, what's new? Well, um, over that quarter, we'd reduced China H shares and Mexico and Taiwan a bit. But I'm putting that one in brackets because... 
that wasn't really a country call. We were just taking profits and some stocks that shows up a bit. We still really like Taiwan. It's very, very, it looks really good on our macro numbers. It's exported its way out of this COVID-19 crisis better than any country. The, the, the countries that have really done well, unfortunately, out of this crisis is China, Taiwan more than anybody, and Vietnam. They both controlled it very well and then exported their way out of it. We also added to financials. And we also opportunistically added some consumer staples. Now, partly because we think this might be a bit rough in markets for a quarter or two. And, but also, we thought there were some opportunities. These companies have lagged. And there's some really high-quality names there we want to pick up for the long run as well. And we took a bit of profit in some of the industrials. Now, just very briefly on style, I think we all know this. This is a global phenomenon. Um, sometimes it doesn't come across into emerging markets, but it did this quarter. Value is where you want it to be. Growth is not where you want it to be. So we're quality growth, so that wasn't exactly great for us, but I think our macro will help us withstand that a little bit and meant that we didn't get hurt as much as those charts could have meant for us. Just having a look at what the countries did, I'm just going to pick out the edited highlights here. I realize I'm a little bit behind schedule. You probably know better than most, South Africa doing pretty well this quarter. That's been a long time coming, hasn't it? But you know, you've got the right sector makeup to do that, haven't you, with banks and materials and resources and so on. But also interesting to see that despite outperforming now for a very long time, Taiwan still doing okay this quarter. That's that export performance still showing through. And then on the left-hand side, you can see there Brazil set back really by political woes and a poor COVID-19 response. On the sectors, you can see there on the left-hand side, materials doing very, very well. And we did get into materials in 2020, and that did as well a bit um, in 2020. Um, we've taken profit in a few and maybe we've been a bit too quick to do that but it's only at the margin really industrial still doing okay in there and on the right hand side you can see real estate surprising many pretty bullish on real estate i think for most of the world actually there's a few issues in china where that could be a buying opportunity but in most of the world you know millennials have been complaining in many cities that they can't afford to get on the housing ladder they also keep telling us how they spend all their money on experiences well Apologies to any millennials out there at the moment listening, but I suppose you've got a bit more cash now than you normally have because there hasn't been any experiences to spend the money on. So uh, unless you've been done a lot more gaming than normal and spending money online, you probably could get on the housing ladder now. So I think we could see some support in, uh, in the real estate sector in many countries globally going forward as people actually can afford to get on the housing ladder for the first time. And of course, the rich have done very well in COVID-19 as they usually do. So the high end of the market probably looks good as well. And that's without the fact that interest rates are low, real interest rates are even lower. And it will probably, real interest rates will probably remain low. So even though interest rates might be going up in the, near, in the, in the medium term, that probably still looks good, I think, for that sector, since real interest rates will probably lag deliberately by the authorities. So there's a bit more detail on here. I'll probably whiz through these a bit quick again. But you can see that some of these names I mentioned already, Xiaomi showing up as a positive. We don't own it, and it did so badly, it shows up as a positive. And that's the vagaries of indexes for you. And you can see the MediaTek and Casacorn and Miner on there, again, just the sort of percentage gains that they made this quarter. Some of them, of course, have been long-term winners for us as well. But the Dada Nexus and the Geely also showing up there as negatives. And Leaning is really only showing up there because it bounced after I sold it over this one-quarter period. What did we do? Well, we bought some emphasis. You know, now Trump's gone. We're probably going to see it a little bit easier for this company to get visas for its software guys. But also... I think software looks good. Old school software probably looks a little bit better. It's a very well-run company. I think this company uh, looks the sort of thing that we want. It's, all, it's effectively an exporter, of course, in, in uh, services. 
we switched out of one Korean bank into another, so that's really there's no big story there. Otherwise, we just, other than we just prefer Shinhan, it's got off to a good start already, actually. Um, and you can see there the staple company that I mentioned earlier, Hindustan Unilever. So it's not a boring developed market type growth; it is Indian growth. So we've got a high growth, high return on capital staple company in India to join our Varun Beverages, which we already own, which is the uh, fizzy drink bottler and uh, water bottler, which we're still very, very positive on. On the sales, just took a bit of profit in our long-term winner and favorite TSMC. That's not to say I've suddenly gone off TSMC. I've just taken a bit of money off the table. Intel, Intel's results turned, to, for me, when you listen to that transcript, if you read that transcript or listen to the results call at Intel, it sounded like he's, had, he's like, it was a pitch to the US government to give him some money because he's been beaten up so badly by Taiwan Semiconductor. So I just want to you know, reduce a bit of capital we've got in that for a while while we see how this beds down. I don't think Intel ever going to be able to win or ever be able to beat them, but it could get a bit messy. So I thought if I can buy it cheaper later on, then, then maybe we will. Still a very good, solid long-term story, I think. It's all about hardware now. You know, really is very important. This is, we're all connected. We're all shackled at all times to one another and to data and to some data center. That is our lives now, all of us. And to do that, you need a lot more chips. And it's TSMC, ARM, and NVIDIA, and ASML. Those are the four companies I think every investor needs to have a view on. That's the center of our lives at the moment, those four companies. So we're also going to consume a lot of chips made by other people like uh, Samsung and SK Hynix. But those four are doing something clever in this new global, globally connected world. So you've got two US, one European, and one Asian company in that. And they're very, very important to our lives there. I say to you as one is European, but is about to be bought by the US company. Okay, um, allocations there, not much change from last time, so I'm going to whiz through this. The big one probably to note is we're still underweight China, and that probably throws out everything else. And we're now debating whether we start reducing that underweight in China, which has worked, and that will have a big impact in our view on the rest of the universe. So that's where we are now. Macro updates. So court, we're still in a cautious mode. But we're beginning to wonder if it's time to get more bullish for emerging markets. This is okay. And one of the reasons why we think is that global industrial momentum, which has been fantastic, right? This, everybody was saying there won't be a V-shape. Well, it looks like a V-shape on that black line on the left-hand side, doesn't it? Okay, global manufacturing PMIs have soared. Of course, mirroring that huge boom in the narrow money indicator, that blue line, which is exactly what we were calling for to happen. So the new high in the global manufacturing PMI in March is consistent with the peak in money growth we saw last summer when we were all fantastically bullish. Now that has slowed right down. Can't go on and on and on forever unless you're about to debase your currency dramatically. So this subsequent monetary slowdown suggests that maybe the PMIs will peak out. Now for those of you that are now saying, no, 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 the economy is in a V-shape, we're all going up to new highs forever. I just want to point out that we're now going, if people go back in the US, and I've got a good view here as, as we start to go back in the UK, we've already bought the stuff. Manufacturing has come back. Amazon has been delivering to me all the way through for things, physical things. We're now getting ready to go back for services. So that's not going to impact the PMI as much. That's in your services. So industrial, we're saying industrial output, manufacturing, hard physical things, that could be peaking here. And you look on the right-hand side, we've still got uh, a negative gap between the real money and the physical economy. So we think 
we've still got a tough couple of quarters ahead, basically. Um, although I'm not sure whether it's one or two quarters. Now, going on to China. Now, China, of course, is the one that's supplied our needs for all these physical goods. Um, and you've seen their manufacturing slow. Their money growth continues to slow, but their GDP growth and their manufacturing is also slowing. Now, we think that Chinese manufacturing gives you a, usually gives you a good early indicator of what happens in the rest of the world in the recent cycles. So you see, since the GFC, turning points in China's industri industry and its PMI has led the rest of the world. And it might be the same again now. Now, I'm not saying that's for GDP. I'm not saying that's for the services part of the economy, but it could well be and probably will be for the manufacturing. Just going to mention the others. It's still got very, very good money trends, which, as you know, you know, is very important to our process in forward looking very favorable in Greece and Taiwan, you know, which is amazing for Greece, isn't it? Because that is going to open up and it is a service economy and that is going to get tourism if Europe gets its act together on COVID-19. And Taiwan as well has just been an exporting powerhouse. So it might have gone a little bit too far, too fast in the short term, but again, looks very, very well underpinned. And Russia looks good as well. China, Mexico and South Africa are lagging on here. And Thailand's starting to look better, but we're already bullish on Thailand. So that's reinforcing our bullish story there. Um, I think we might be changing our view on China soon, however. So the thing about China is that the PBOC have been tight. They've been very tight. And we're wondering if they're getting close now to easing. So this is the mirror image of what the market consensus was certainly a quarter or two ago. When we first started saying that we were negative on China and the PBOC was too tight, the market was saying, no, they're going to tighten in the second half of 2021. And we were saying, nope, that could be when they're easing. Well, my conviction in that analysis has increased since last quarter. And it, you can start to feel that since the National People's Congress, that's the Chinese parliament, um, and the five-year plan was announced, that seems to be gaining you know, some currency, as it were, with um, market analysts. So we're starting to feel the market agree with us on that now. And I reckon at some point, and I don't know whether it's towards the end of this quarter or early next quarter, but it's sooner now rather than later, I think, the PBOC, the People's Bank of China, will start to ease. So that's really our, our strategy. I won't go through every single one of those bullet points. At the moment, we're overweight Southeast Asia, underweight China, Overweight IT still, but that's been the hardware, proper tech stuff, um, industrials, and starting to add to consumer discretionary again. Our EM checklist, which is this seven-factor checklist we, we talk about, is mixed. It's not bearish, but it's not bullish. And although it's really good on valuations and commodity prices, obviously that's very important generally for emerging markets, it's neutral on earnings in EM versus DM, and it's neutral on real money supply, emerging markets versus developed markets. But that's a little bit better than it was, actually. It's negative on the global excess money supply number because the V-shaped recovery is sucking up all that excess liquidity. And we think the industrial cycle is peaking. But we think both of those could be temporary. So I can see this scenario for emerging markets turning very positive very quickly because global excess money supply will probably turn positive sometime in the summer. The industrial cycle will have already corrected and we'll be looking bullish again when we look further out. And the US dollar, which is all important, obviously could turn 
at that point as well. So these factors that are either negative or neutral at the moment, I could very easily see turning positive, which would give us a very clear and bullish signal emerging market. So I'm not quite ready to pound the table on this at the moment, but I can see that um, that might be the case at some point in the next quarter or so. And I don't really want to bang the table until I've got those indicators ticking up and being positive. And I realize I've gone a little bit over time, so I'm going to pause there, Robin, and hand over for questions. A little bit, but uh, it was fantastic information. Thank you very much, Ian. I do have one question that was submitted by one of our um, audience during the registration process, so I'd like to pose that to you, but please be mindful of, of the timing. Uh, the question was, with the rise in U.S bond yields and potentially the rise for US interest rates over maybe perhaps the medium term, what might be the impact on emerging markets? If this was a normal cycle and we were going, rates are going significantly higher, then it would be negative. But there's two wrinkles to this, and I think they're both very important. Firstly, I think in the long run, in this next cycle, basically, central banks, although the rates are going higher, especially at the long end of the curve, they want real rates to lag. You know, I'm not being clever here. I'm just listening to what Powell and the other central bankers are all screaming at us, that they're going to be behind the curve deliberately. And if that means some of them will even try and rig their yield curves, like I know some people say the Europeans are trying to do, um, and that Japan does and Australia does, then we will get real rates artificially low. And that is very positive for emerging markets. It's also very positive for many real assets, by the way. It will lead to inflation further down the track, but you want to be in making money out of this before you worry about that for a while later on. Secondly, we actually think in the very short term, um, we might have seen the worst. Now, this is very non-consensus, but if, but if we're right and those PMIs peak out and the central banks are saying we're going to look through some short-term inflation blips because they're transitory, that's the word they use then maybe the bond market's sort of done its worst. And, and it looks to me like we're already entering a bit of a trading range here. So I'm not saying this goes the other way. I'm just saying we've already had the big move. But by the way, Simon Ward, our economist, was calling for um, in these yields. And there's less, probably less of a move to come here in the short and medium term, especially if we're right that PMIs peak out here because the manufacturing side of the world economy isn't getting any stronger. We hand over to the services now. They're the ones that you can't spend your money on both things at the same time. Well, I know I can't anyway. So, you know, that, that, that the money which has been going to cardboard boxes from Amazon, which my kids seem to be ordering all the time, that now shifts to, oh, I could go out and have a nice meal there. There's only so much um, we've all got to spend. So I'm not saying the economy turns down, but it, the pattern changes and it'll be less about manufacturing and industrial output. There's, yes, there are bottlenecks everywhere. We've been talking about them for a while. And yes, some people are going to get pricing power and you still want to chase that. But it looks like central banks are going to accommodate that. They don't want the economy slowing to sort that out. So we'll just have to put up with a bit of extra inflation. A bit of extra inflation and low real rates is actually really positive for emerging markets and for real assets and so on. So yeah, short term, okay on that front. Medium to long term, very, very positive. But it's going to get interesting further out. Well, thank you very much, Ian. I do know a few people that could probably keep spending in both services and, and, and manufacturing and bolster, bolster that a little bit longer. Thanks so much for your insights today. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. 
For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.